At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, please be seated, and good morning. Happy New Year. We really know that it's not the New Year because we're Anglicans, and we know that the New Year starts on Advent 1. I was not here last week. Special word of thanks to Mother Susan Dolan Henderson for preaching so powerfully from the pulpit of St. George's, but it's great to be with y'all this morning. And I don't know if y'all have ever heard of Corey Ten Boom. Oh, cool. Corey Ten Boom, um, the author of The Hiding Place, uh, an important part of the anti-Nazi resistance movement in Holland in the 1940s during World War II. And in the year 1972, in the year 1972, Corey Ten Boom said this, quote, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I liked to think that that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. They were never, uh, there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People just stood up in silence after the talk. In silence, they collected their coats. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him. That's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. A vivid memory came flooding into my mind, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor the shame of walking naked past this man. 
I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now here he was, right in front of me, his hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. His hand again came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven. And I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, his hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do, close quote. Question for you, dear friends of St. George's, a question for you on this first Sunday after the Epiphany, a question for you as we begin a new year together. All sorts of ways in which we have the opportunity to turn over a new leaf in 2023. Question for you this morning, what is the hardest thing you have ever had to do? See, what I love about that story is that it gives us a picture of two people, two people who ordinarily would never be caught dead together. Never in a thousand years. Two people who you might think as natural-born enemies, an ex-Nazi soldier, and on the other hand, the victim of horrible torture and abuse in a Nazi concentration camp, two hardcore enemies coming face to face. And that, dear friends, that is almost exactly what we find here in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, this lesson that Jan just read to us a couple of minutes ago. That's exactly what we find in Acts chapter 10, this story of the Roman centurion Cornelius. Let me hear you say Cornelius. Now, I admit that the name Cornelius actually technically doesn't pop up in the precise text that you have in your bulletin this morning, but the story is about Cornelius. Make no mistake about that. This story about Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and the apostle of Jesus, this apostle of Jesus, a devout man named Peter. The very first word of your epistle lesson this morning is Peter. This is a story about Cornelius and Peter. And in many ways, 
the Peter that we meet here in Acts chapter 10 is a lot like Corey Ten Boom. Why? How? Because Peter had been raised to despise Gentiles like Cornelius. I mean, after all, what does it say in the Old Testament about Gentiles? There we read that the Gentiles are unclean, that they are idolaters, that they are corrupt and contaminated. That is what Peter was raised to believe. Based on everything he knew, that was the attitude that God wanted him to have. It is the Jews who are God's chosen people. It's the Jews who belong to God. It's the Jews who are on the inside of God's love and fellowship. And those dirty Gentiles, well, they're on the outside, right? Locked out and forgotten. And that is why it is so incredibly strange what happened to Peter on that day, that day before he showed up to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile Roman centurion. Peter had been staying with a friend. Maybe you remember the story. Peter had been staying with a friend uh, in the seaside city port called Joppa. All of a sudden, Peter has a dream. I'm intrigued at how frequently dreams pop up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Peter had a dream. And in this dream, God is telling him that nothing that God has made, nothing that God has made is unclean. No. Even certain foods, which in the Old Testament are off limits for a Jew, things like shellfish and pork, even those things, God is telling Peter, even those are not unclean. They are not unclean. Peter has this dream which comes from God, and suddenly Peter's whole world, all of his assumptions are turned upside down. His whole world is beginning to be turned upside down. There's nothing in the world that's unclean, God is saying to Peter. Next thing that happens is even more crazy. God tells Peter to go to Cornelius's house. And now Peter's really scratching his head in confusion. God, you want me to enter the house of a Roman centurion and bring him the love of Christ? In this epiphany tide, I want you to imagine what must have been going on in Peter's head and heart, his mind and his heart. See, this is not the first time that Peter had come into contact with Roman soldiers, is it? No, it's not. Do you remember that night when he denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times? It's in all four of the Gospels. Peter had seen what the Roman soldiers did to Jesus. How they mocked him. How they spat on him. How they taunted him. And eventually how they killed him. They killed his friend, his hero, his mentor, his beloved Jesus. And here Peter is again, standing in the house of one of them. This isn't the first time that Peter had come face to face with Roman soldiers. And here he is again, standing in the house of one of them, standing in the house of Cornelius, standing in the house of the enemy, or at least he who was assumed by Peter to be an enemy. See, maybe Peter was blinded by his assumptions. Yeah? Maybe he was putting Cornelius in a box. 
See, the text in Acts chapter 10, it actually, again, this is not in the snippet that we have in our bulletin this morning, but the text in Acts chapter 10 bends over backwards to emphasize that actually Cornelius was a good man, it says in Acts chapter 10. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that he was a devout man who feared God and who gave generously to the poor. Maybe not all Roman soldiers are like Peter had been assuming. And so here Peter is, standing in the house of Cornelius, surrounded by dozens of, of Cornelius' closest friends, all of whom most certainly would have been Gentiles. And here's Peter, and he opens his mouth, and he begins to preach. And dear friends, this is in your service leaflet this morning. What is the core message of Peter's sermon? It is simply this, that in Jesus, God is making a new family. It was so wonderful to be at, be at Casa Marianela on Friday, January 6th, Feast of the Epiphany, to be preaching uh, about how the essence of the gospel is to create a new family. And that is the core of Peter's speech this morning. He is saying that in Jesus, God is making a new family. That's why it says in verse 34 of the passage this morning, the gospel lesson, God shows no... Boom, y'all are good. Y'all are impressive. God shows, shows no partiality, verse 34. Those days of excluding the Gentiles, they're over. Now, Peter is begin, beginning to understand all are invited in. Every race, tribe, tongue, and people. And what's amazing, though, because as if that's all of that is not amazing enough, what's even more amazing and really, if I could have one point of the sermon, it would be something like this. What's more amazing is, is actually what happens after Peter's little sermon. And this is what I would love for us to take away this morning because all of the Gentiles there in that room, after they believed Peter's message, after they put their faith in Christ, guess what it says? It says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It says that the Holy Spirit entered into their lives. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who would love to have an experience of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if there's anyone in the room who knows friends, co-workers, family members who need an experience of the Holy Spirit. That is what it says, that after they believed, after this sermon, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, verse 44, just after today's passage, and entered into their lives. Wow. And guess what? At that point, there could be no doubt that these folks, these people were, who were formerly the, 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 the enemies, the, the unclean, there could be no doubt at that point that they are part of this new community. It became empirically undeniable. They'd received the Holy Spirit, and now they are part of this new family, part of this new community. I mean, a dream is one thing, right? Peter had this dream. A dream is one thing. But when you see it with your eyes, that God has entered into another person. No, you can't see God, but you can see the effects of a person when God has ent entered into them. Yes, you can. And when they saw this with their very eyes, that God had entered the heart of a person, wow, new family. Those Gentiles were brought all the way in to this new family. 
these new brothers and sisters are baptized, and, there, and now there is zero distinction between us and them. There is no us and them anymore, right? All distinctions are blurred. Yeah, maybe some Jews, maybe there were some Jews and some Gentiles. Okay, fine. But none of that matters now. None of that matters now. There might be Republicans in the room and Democrats in the room, but guess what? None of that matters now. Technically, it might be true, especially Monday through Saturday. But guess what? When we're here together, when we are as the body of Christ, all distinctions are gone. They were all one in Christ that day, and today, this day, we are all one in Christ. New family. It's the very same thing that we see with the three magi, is it not? I mean, these crazy sorcerers slash magicians slash astrologers. Side note, I wonder how a first century Palestinian would have viewed them. Pretty sure that there's laws in the Old Testament against sorcery. And, and, and this new family that we see here in Acts chapter 10, it is not unlike that. It's not like those magi, these sorcerers, these astrologers, these wizards who came from far, far away. It's not unlike them. Not only were those magi Gentiles, but they were barbarians. You know what a barbarian is? That word, by the way, I shouldn't do this, but I do have hand sanitizer. Uh, the word barbarian comes from this. Because the language sound like sounded like that. that they weren't just Gentiles. They were like crazy foreigners from the edge of the earth. They were barbarians. I wonder how a first century Jew would have viewed a barbarian. They're like Gentiles on steroids. And yet here they are. Here they are worshiping the Christ child. And they're brought all the way in, these barbarians, these sorcerers. They're brought all the way in, all the way into this new family. Now let me ask you a question. Why does this new family of Jesus matter? And why should you care? What's the big deal? There's so much that I could say at this point, but today I want to keep it simple. It was not until Peter opened himself up to the outsider. It was not until Peter opened himself up to the outsider. Not until then that the Holy Spirit came. And dear friends, it simply means this. It's not rocket science. It simply means this. As long as you and I, as long as we look at the outsiders and hold them at arm's length, we will miss the Holy Spirit. If you look around this room, it's probably about 85% white. That's, that's all right. But if we want to experience the Holy Spirit, that needs to change. There is something about diversity that is made by Christ, not PC ideology, right? Not, not secular inclusivity. No, no, no. By Christ, by his blood, by the gospel, there is something about that that creates diversity, it creates a new family, and that is when God's people experience the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. As long as we look at the outsider, and it doesn't matter who the outsiders are, right? You guys know this at least as well as I do. It doesn't matter who the outsiders are. Muslims, addicts, Trump supporters, undocumented citizens. It doesn't matter who the outsiders are. But as long as we hold them at arm's length, we will miss the blessing of the Holy Spirit. But once we let them in, 
and this church has let them in, and we get to do it again. Once we let them in and bring them all the way in, what does all the way in mean? Well, it means relationships of intimacy. It means being real with each other. It means being friends. It also means the font. It also means the altar. That is, we're a sacramental community. And the sacraments aren't just rote rituals. No, they're about love. See, and when we bring them all the way in, watch out. The Holy Spirit will come. We will taste a new reality that we never thought possible. We will begin to experience what Peter felt that day. And not just Peter. Corey Tenboom's story ends like this as she's standing before that Nazi soldier. Quote, I had to do it. I knew that. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And yet I still just stood there with coldness clutching at my heart. But... Forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Lord, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I thought. I can do that much. Lord, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out in front of me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, and it raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. See? New family, new Holy Spirit. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.